Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. We get to meet some really, really cool people on LinkedIn. And I had the chance to meet Kina Pettijohn. Now, here's the thing. I really didn't know who she was until all of these people started coming out of the woodwork. And they're like, dude, this lady's really cool. She's really smart. You need to know her. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. So I set some time up on her calendar. We had an, an initial phone call. I think it was scheduled for 30 minutes. We went like 55 and I just unbelievably not only fell in love with how her brain works, but what she does in her experience. So I want to have everybody realize that we have Kina Pettijohn on the, the, the show today. She is the CEO and founder of Life Logics, which we're going to dive into very, very deeply. Kina, welcome to the show. I am honored and humbled to be invited to this infamous podcast. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Okay. You have an amazing history and life journey. If you don't mind, let's start there. Tell us really, how did you get to be the CEO and founder of LifeLogics? Well, let me, let me share something with you. Years and years ago, while other girls were playing with dolls, my father took me to board meetings. And this is a true story. While other children were playing outside, my father uh, read the Herald Tribune and the New York Times and reviewed the news that Walter Cronkite would air. So we talked about current events. And that was my daily routine. I became intrigued with the global economy, what was impacting the global economy. And to add to that, rather than going to the beach or going to the pool, my father invited me as a seven-year-old to board meetings. So when I was intrigued with business and obviously world events, I knew when I was going to mature into a professional that I wanted to be where the action was, which in my mind was Wall Street. Hmm. So when I graduated, and I'll tell you, there was no jobs. I graduated into double digit inflation. My credit card was the way that I purchased my first home. At that point, they allowed you to roll debt 30 days without any penalty. And even though I graduated from Ohio State University with a double major, obviously with marketing and finance, I couldn't get a job. And the only way I was able to get a job, and this is probably testament to my bubbly personality, is I became a greeter. A greeter is a person that when you take your brand new car to the automobile agency and it doesn't work as promised, a greeter would calm you down, serve your coffee, and ask you, what is your problem? So I believe that that was perfect training for Wall Street and financial advice. So that was my first job. I graduated from a greeter with all of my people skills to a bookkeeper 
I couldn't get a job again, so my degree wound up as a bookkeeper at Liberty Mutual. And my, one of my first charges was to figure out commission checks. And when I was hired, the individual said to me, I thought you could type. I said, I can. She says, but normal people type with both of their hands. I said, I can type, but with only two fingers at a time. So I was able to process the commission checks, Liberty Mutual. As time went on, I wanted to do my master's. At that point, I had done my undergraduate work. I wanted to really focus on marketing and finance. So I started to do my master's at a local college while I was working full time. The professor, and God bless him, he's no longer with us. His name was Dr. Oscar Nestor. You got to be famous with that name. I went, <laughs> I went to Ozzy and I was motivated. I wanted to get out of the rat hole of the apartment I was living in. I wanted to be able to buy a car that was not an ancient vehicle. And I went to Ozzy and I said, Ozzy, what industries should I go into? He says, Kina, I'll tell you three of them. Now, keep in mind, I'm very young. I don't know anything about the real world, but I want a job and I want to make money. He gave me the three Ps. The three Ps were petroleum, pharmaceutical, and precious metals. And this is years ago. So petroleum, I interviewed with Amarada Hess. No, I didn't get the job. And that was my first entrance into more of a commodity, petroleum. My second attempt was going to pharmaceuticals, but I didn't have a big smile and I wasn't tall enough and I wasn't tired. So I didn't make a pharmaceutical salesperson. The third one was very, very interesting. It said precious metals. I didn't really know what that meant. And then there was a little ad, probably an inch by an inch on in the financial section. And it said, assistant to vice president, no experience necessary. And what it was, was an individual that was managing not only the inventory of the institution, but their currency risk. Now, keep in mind, I knew nothing. And I get my black suit, and my black pumps, I borrowed some really good jewelry because I knew anything went with black, particularly pearls. I trudged all the way down to world trade. At that point, I knew that there was a tall building. It took me two hours to get there. And I go there and I'm interviewed and he goes, well, it sounds like you don't have experience. I said, exactly, I don't. He says, but you sound like you're, 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 you can learn fast. You're good with math. You understand the processes. So he hired me as a training assistant. And I proudly accepted, even though I had to commute three and a half to four hours a day, a $12,500 salary. That was a win to me. So I entered into that. And the interesting thing, he was hedging not only their currency risk in terms of the pound and the Deutschmark, we didn't have the Euro at the time, but also the output of the refinery. And they still have refineries where they purchase the scrappings from precious metals. In those days, they were also purchasing the silver from photographic areas such as Eastman Kodak. And all of that is hedged, whether it's in the overnight markets and also you have currency risk, particularly the London exchange, which is spot gold that's settled every day. So I had to learn about the currency risk with gold. Anyway, to make a long story short, once you understand time and money and you understand the value of commodities, how volatile 
it starts to make you understand the movement of financial markets. So rather than reading the newspaper, his name was Dennis, we became technical traders. And this is very interesting because we didn't have computers where you would a computer would do this for you now. But what we would do is we were called chartists. We would have a chart in front of us, the size of a large desk, and we would plot where the market opened, where it fluctuated during the day, where it closed, and where it went on the overnights. We would look at that every day and try to identify patterns for the week, for the month, for three months, six months. And then we would see, we would understand a pattern was happening where a market is meeting resistance. It has support and resistance. And we notice that if it trades above a certain dollar amount, we're going into a new trading range. If we find that it's settling at a certain level, which is called support, obviously if we break that support, we're gonna see new trading price ranges. So that was my first experience into the markets and sitting with Dennis was on the institutional desk. I didn't know of retail. We understood retail to be the individuals outside. And because we were trading for the house, and this is a true story, we would have positions. At the end of the day, we would settle our positions. We had decided we're going to carry it overnight or we're going to eliminate that position. And then a person such as me would get on the squawk box, which connected to all the retail advisors for that particular broker dealer. And we would tell them about the markets, where we were going home that night. And then retail would absorb that because those were the individuals that were advising their investing clients. So that was my first introduction to the markets. Wow. And this has just been the platform of you continuously being able to refresh, reframe, and continue to learn uh, not only about financial services, but I mean, banking, fintech. I mean, this is your ability to understand and absorb information quickly has continued you on this amazing path. So what happened after that? Obviously, I continued on my um, interest in financial services, and there was a little bank at the time. The laws had changed, and they could offer non-FDIC products in their lobby. Keep in mind that FDIC-insured products are your typical bank products, your checking account, your savings account, and they are insured. But the laws changed, and where banks were able to offer non-FDIC products in their lobbies. And I was recruited by this company. This is years ago. We had one money market and one annuity. That was a very, very large product mix. And that company was based in New York and it was called Citibank. And it was the very beginning of offering non-FDIC products in their lobbies. And interestingly enough, at that point, we didn't really have um, a complete product set to choose from. All of the rules in terms of referrals, in terms of nominal one-time compensation, no more than $25, all started to evolve. At that point, the people had to be paid. We did call it commissions in those days, which this word has now died. But we obviously had annuity products, insurance products, and we were paid in commissions. And at that point, sales 
most people were paid on a grid. So when Citibank decided to offer non-FDIC insured products in their lobbies, they also decided to license some of their bankers. So this is all from the very beginning. How do we offer it? How do we price it? How do we market? How do we position it? How do we establish the protocols, due diligence, the oversight? If you can go through all of that from the very beginning, it becomes the template for creating a wealth management and insurance program for enterprise, whether they be a bank, a credit union, a RA, or another type of a broker dealer. So that started my background in creating these types of programs for financial providers. So you did that for a bit, right? And so you you lived in the that world. When did you first really strike out on your own? When did you get the entrepreneurial bug and realize that, yeah, I, I can make good money working for other people, but you know what? Let's, let's, let's take this risk. I think that's a great question. And it takes a tremendous amount of maturity and acceptance with your value, not only as a, as a productive individual book, but what you want personally. And having been multiple decades as a corporate captive, my name was not on the door. And I proudly drank the Kool-Aid of those corporations. And that was my orientation. I was very deferential. I was a team player, a cheerleader, and all of that. And one day I had decided, you know what, this doesn't really make me as happy as it used to. And my client, this was very interesting. I didn't know all of the different technology stack and all the different ways we could integrate. They gave me a project and they said, Keena, you have a project. It's called the Digital Integration of Wealth Management. This was about eight years ago. I think there was three people in me in the room. I will credit that in terms of my first T3. Obviously, Joel Bruckenstein, who is revered in the industry, decided to have a technology conference. Well, I needed to do this presentation for senior management on the digital integration. So there was about maybe 10 vendors in addition to our box lunches that were sitting there. And I was on a mission. So I went down and I saw, you know, different trading platforms. I saw different ways that they were doing their CRMs, their, their customer relationship, client relationship management. And then I saw this company and I said, what do you do? Oh, we, we do financial planning. We take in information about the client. We align it with their goals. And I said, wow, that sounds interesting. We're in a bank. We don't do financial plannings. They're registered representatives, but I do like that. So here was the brainchild. I come back, I listen, and I'll tell you who that company was because it was my first integration. It took six months of oversight and due diligence, and they still weren't convinced that they were going to have the financial wherewithal to stay in the market. But here was my idea. I went back to the client, which was a bank, and we were struggling with offering advice to our clients when the bank closed. This is very interesting because I was now jumping out of the bricks and mortar, which is traditional as to when you used to sit with people face to face, make the introductions after you opened up the account. But I had decided we had call centers and also we were restricted by the banks closing and people could not see someone. So here is what happened. I decided we're going to take this website. It was a very young website for the bank. And we're going to embed this vendor into the website 
and we're going to call it financial wellness. Happy face, sunshine, young couple in a convertible driving down the road of life. And six months later, we created remote advice when the individual was sitting on a Sunday on their couch, which is typically where they are, and they were talking about, honey, where do you, you know, where do you want to go? They would start the journey and then it would be they they would be mapped to the local branch where they did their major banking, where they had their checking account. At that time, the hierarchy would refer to the advisor, the financial advisor. Six months later, all of the oversight, due diligence, financial resources, marketing department, head of retail, head of lending, all of the executive board said, you know what, we're going to do it. Hmm. That company was Money Guide Pro. Oh my goodness. Yes. And we we decided, or as we had spoken to the retail, because we thought that was a good place to go, we don't want to make a complete financial plan. Too complicated. They were kind enough to simplify the plan. So we had a very, very condensed version of a full financial plan that a client can self-direct on their own journey. And then they would be asked, would you like help? And yes, they always wanted help. And that would be mapped to the local representative. So that was my first opportunity to do a real live integration with all of the protective covenances of what we have to be careful of, someone taking our data, someone that may, you know, oh my gosh, we're exposing them to our website, to our clients. And I said to myself, if I can do that, and we're looking at all these technologies that are coming in and understanding all of the protocols, processes, compensation, positioning, I could start a consultancy business. So it happened after I completed the project because I certainly had my sea legs. And I also at the time said, you know what? I think I can go out there and create a business. But I was very fortunate and I'll share this with you. Because I had worked with the Bank Insurance Securities Association, BISA, for years and years and years, I had tremendous intelligence in terms of what they were looking for. In, re in relationship to offering insurance products and wealth management, since I had done that about eight times before. Mm -hmm. So LifeLogics first started as a consultancy company sitting on the road, basically between integration and partnership. It was the very beginning of looking at vendors as partners. And some of the banks started to take in these young fintech companies, not as just vendors, but as partners and give them full access. Having gone through that, I said, I want to do this consultancy business. I certainly knew the bank, the credit union, the broker dealer, the RA, and I started to just stay within the corner of integration and partnerships. I knew since I was involved in the request for proposals, the RFPs, that I absolutely could discover what was critical in an RFP as I was basically vetting out the young technology company that wanted to go enterprise. And that's where LifeLogix was born. And at the same time, and you're gonna love this one, I decided that I didn't want to end my professional life with someone else's name on the door. Sure. I said, you know what? I'm gonna take a little bit of a breather here. 
really took store of the value I brought. It was a tremendous uh, amount of personal inspection and confidence because my Kool-Aid was the corporate Kool-Aid, not the Kena Kool-Aid. <laughs> so when I went out there, even though they knew me for years, they would say, okay, well, who are you? What are you? All of the same things as if I was a stranger in a strange land. So the most important thing is I wanted to create my own identity. And I was fortunate enough not only to have a father that exposed me to financial services, but to give me an incredibly unique name. I am the only Kina Pet, the only Kina Petajon in the world. So my unique name created a unique value proposition on how I wanted to start my business. So LifeLogics wasn't necessarily started on the sticks of technology where we would go through all the matrix and see how they would retrofit into each other, but I wanted to be agnostic. Having gone through multiple broker dealers, multiple CRMs, multiple data dumps, I said, you know what, can we just look at the whole person? Mm -hmm. And LifeLogics was founded holistically not necessarily in one tech understanding, but on the tenets of health, wealth, and happiness. I wanted to look at technology in terms of the whole person, not just playing nicely in the API sandbox. Not only was it dedicated to creating that holistic perspective and being dedicated to technology that supported that philosophy, but also I started this business when you shouldn't start a business in my 60s. Sure. And I decided at that point there's still more gas in the in the engine. Ah. <laughs> I can I can do this. But one what I wasn't prepared for having all the administrative assistance, having an IT department at my disposal, having a marketing department that can create my logos and all of my go-to messaging to create this on my own. If I would have had an understanding of your brand, your unique value proposition, your messaging, all of the benefits that an individual can bring to the table, it probably would have accelerated my entrepreneurial spirit by at least a year. That's how, that's how it got started. So when I talked to you previously, your business model is very unique. Now you talked about kind of the, the middle ground between integration and partnership. Let's talk a little bit more about that. And more importantly, if our listeners would be your ideal client, let's talk about what it's like to engage you. Okay. That's a great question, by the way. Keep in mind, the maturity of the organization dictates how I work with them. There are very young companies out there that have just completed their technology. They have all of their ducks in a row in terms of development and some branch out, not necessarily an enterprise. They may start as an app mm -hmm. and they are successfully in the app world, and then they decide what we want to go into the enterprise world. So a young company would engage me in terms of a go-to-market assessment. I would look at all the competitive intelligence, all of the gaps in their messaging and marketing, how we can reposition this in terms of their pricing, as well as should we offer this as a one-off or should we offer this within an end-to-end -end solution? 
it really depends upon if they are, and I love this, a very unique niche offering. Mm -hmm. And there are many technology, younger companies that are one-offs. They may be very focused on debt reconciliation. They may be very focused in terms of a, a mini financial plan, but it's also talking about your credit. They're re-counseling re on your credit. There are many applications that would say, you know, Kina, we want to go enterprise. How do we do this? Well, number one, your presentation, the protocols, your processes, your pricing, your due diligence, and we keep going through that. So say, do we have a competitive offering? Because I have multiple decades in terms of enterprise, specifically banks, credit unions, RAs, insurance companies, I, I have a great, and I love this, an incredible Rolodex, mm -hmm. which doesn't exist anymore. I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's important. It's not necessarily that you've got the greatest offering in the world, but they know you. Yeah, They're comfortable with you. They trust you. So rather than going through, which is typical in enterprise, six countless meetings, maybe more, I can make one call because they know me from multiple decades and say, listen, I'm working with this young company. They're based out of Canada. I believe that it could really complement your memberhood in terms of your, your mission statement, your focus, your culture. I'd like to speak with you. They will take that call. The challenge in terms of getting that is knowing them. They are bombarded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> solicitors. So that is a very good example of a ideal client, a young company that has been in business. They are funded. They're not going for their initial rounds of fundings, their first angel. They are actually marginally profitable. They have already completed all their development, but now they're looking from an app, they're going into an enterprise. That's perfect. Then there's the other side, as I told you, I sit between partnership and integration. It is a institution. It could be a bank. It could be a credit union. Say, so you know what? We would, we don't want to infect our legacy systems. We want to complement them. And we want to focus on this particular wellness solution because it looks good. We care about our community. It also helps us with our Community Reinvestment Act credits. So they will retain me and start to do, and I will start to do the due diligence on what is a proper fit in terms of their culture, their pricing, how they do business. It's not how the technology does business. So when they meet the founders of the technology, they're looking for like-mindedness, very important to them. Not necessarily do you have the greatest offering in the world. Can we relate to you? Do you understand we do the way we do business? That's the second ideal client. But your compensation structure is very interesting, too, because when we were talking, there is a serious level of skin in the game. So as we kind of wrap up today's show, let's talk about because this is really so your years and years and years of experience, your unbelievable Rolodex, your your ability to balance that between integration, really, and partnership, the relationships that you have, those are all way out of anybody's league, but then you take yourself out of the ballpark because of the way that you look at how you're going to be compensated. Let's talk about that, please. 
All right. So I, I just put together a deck um, that I'm very proud of. And I talked about, and I didn't make up this word, but more of an accelerated go-to-market assessment. And well, and one that is truly accentuated, which is a very lengthy process. Typically, what I would do is I would come into a prospect, a client, and go through a mini assessment. And basically, it's going through all their marketing, a very quick gap analysis, objection handling, all of that. And they would get that done in about a six-week period. After that was packaged properly, then I would provide skin in the game where I'm now actually leveraging my Rolodex and making introductions for them based upon what I want to do for them to get their distribution, make it more scalable, more credible. And that's where I have skin in the game. So it goes from a retainer role into a revenue variable share. I don't know anybody who does that. I mean, in after after we had talked, I just I sat back and we we got off the phone, and I thought to myself, who does that? I mean, that that's like huge levels of risk, Kina. And in 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 a, it's interesting because your first job when you were working in with the 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 gold and the 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 currency and all of those sorts of things and the precious metals where that was fierce amounts of risk, right? Mm -hmm. Massive volatility. And it's interesting that you have continued this part of your life in a high risk environment, calculated, mind you, I, I understand that you're very calculated, but very calculating risk to make sure that you realize and that your clients realize that you're walking next to them and your success is their success. Have you run into other people who were, doing this or are you really not just a keen pedagogy of one but you're a life logics of one well i don't know other keen pedagogs that do their business model like this the typical consultancy would be done on a project basis yeah. done on a retainer basis they do not convert typically into a distribution agreement once you have the the trust of the client and say, you know what, I'm going to help you. We're going to help each other. It sounds better to them. They have already done all of their risk-taking. Why add to it? And also, I don't believe that you need to go through volumes of assessments to validate your value. I think after all those years, and you could be surgically precise, ask the right questions in a very accelerated time. And you know what? They know what they want. They know what they don't do well, and that's why they're hiring you. That That's my process. Huh. Now, if somebody hearing this says, this is not only fascinating, but I have this thing, whichever side they're on, the development side, or, or they're with a big RIA, a banking system, credit union, or whatever, what is the best way for them to begin the process of finding out if you guys would be a good fit? The best thing, I do a lot of exposure on LinkedIn. Typically what people do is they'll check me out on a LinkedIn and they'll indicate interest in connecting with me. We'll do a mini dialogue in terms of here's my messaging. Can we get together? So I do a discovery call. I, I make this go better for them. I say, you know what? Let's do a fact finding, a discovery call. I have a form that I've created uh, so they know exactly what the outcome of the conversation will be. And then after we do the fact-finding discovery, then we start to go into, 
Can we work on a go-to-market? Is it something we want to do just on pricing? Is it just on distribution? We start to identify those uh, specific elements that are important to them based upon their capital and based upon their timetable. So if I'm an advisor and I have an idea, they have all of these maybe three quarters baked ideas, but there are advisors out there who have really fully baked ideas and they, they feel very passionate and very strongly that they have something that a bank or credit union or even the general public really could use. And it could be a game changer. They just reach out to you on LinkedIn and say, Hey, Kina, can we chat? Yeah, they can do that. I have obviously an email partners at lifelogics.com. I have the old way of doing business is called a phone. Uh, call me 561-985-6238. Or if you don't want to call me or LinkedIn with me, you can actually go on to my website, which is in reconstruction, but it's there mm -hmm. and just say, I want to talk to you. And it automatically books a time on my calendar. Magnificent. Now, I just everybody knows who listens to the po podcast that we're going to put all of those links in the show notes. Phone number once again, 561-985-6238. Please check out Life Logics, and it's spelled L-I-F-E-L-O-G-I-X-S. So make sure you spell that correctly. Kina, we've had a lot of interesting people on the show, and I have to say that I have never interviewed anybody who does what you do. And that's why I was so excited about having you on because one, I think it is not only do what you do is fascinating, but I think there's a lot of people out there who might want to be like you when they grow up. And I wanted them to hear your journey, your experience, and then how you distilled all of this life experience into something that not only allows you to do really amazing good work to bring new ideas, but also giving people the use of your, your pedigree, for lack of a better description, to help them achieve their dreams, which I think is freaking cool. So thanks for doing what you do. I am so grateful to be chosen when you could have had many other individuals on this. I'm thrilled. I wish I could express verbally how I'm cheering, but this is awesome. And I'm just grateful for this opportunity. Well, we really, really are thankful. So everybody, make sure that you check out the, the website. Make sure you check her out on LinkedIn. And that's Kena, K-E-E-N-A, Pettijohn, P-E-T-T-I-J-O-H-N. Make sure you check her out. She's always posting good stuff. But not only is she posting cool stuff, she responds with very thoughtful responses. And you can see that she really, truly cares. She takes social media to where we all want social media, which is real social interaction. Kina, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yes. And okay, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click now and uh, we will have you subscribe. And if you know somebody who either would love to learn about who Kina is and what she does and how you can be like her when you grow up, or if you want to really try to bring a product to market and get somebody who's done this so many times and can give you real advice on a go-to-market strategy, how your marketing is doing, and really what your opportunities are, please make sure that you connect with Kina online. So for Kina, and everybody at LifeLogics and all of us here at Proudmouth. This is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how you can be your own loud, 
visit our website, read our blog posts, attend our educational webinars, and sign up for our new Influence Accelerator Academy, where you too can learn how to truly be an influencer in your space. Have a wonderful day.